0: I'm going I'm to move away from the digital component of our life and uh, move more into an analysis of the issues that are being crowded out by the digital age. Because it's not so much that we're just trying to stand up here and find fault with modern technology. It's like so that when we're done with this series, everybody can come up, throw their stuff on the ground crush their iPads underneath their feet and walk out and never touch anything digital again. You know, that, that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. I think what we're trying to do is just be wise about the reality that the digital age has crowded into our lives in a particular way. Um, probably many things in church history have done that, but that's what's crowding us And when things get pushed into our lives, you know, we only got so much space to live our lives, right? And so we all of a sudden find these things pushing in and taking up space. And the space we're concerned about is time and mental energy would be the two commodities that are limited in our lives. And the digital age is touching both of them. And when it does that, it doesn't come in and add any energy to your life. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. It can't add any time to your life. So something's got to give. And this is an opportunity for us to look at discipleship in the realm of what are the irreducible fundamentals of living the Christian life? What are the things in your life that are non-negotiable? Right? The things that you need to protect at all costs. Right, I'm I'm grateful that the rain event that we're having's been slow, and there hasn't been a huge amount of flooding. But uh, you know, those of us who have lived here long enough, you know, these are these are sandbag events, right? If you're if you're familiar with rain and water getting close to your house, you sandbag to protect some things that are in your life that have value to you. Well, as a Christian, you you kind of need to be sandbagging some things. There's some aspects of being a Christian. That you can't afford to give up. You you can't afford to let it be crowded out. You cannot lose some of these things. And so we've gone through each week and tried to limit this to what I think are five irreducible fundamentals to the Christian life. That if you lose any of them, you will be hard-pressed to live the Christian life. And the one we're going to look at today is the fundamental of teaching. Right? And I, th- I think as, I think you'll agree with me after you look through some of the texts today and see teaching in the life of a believer and see what a huge place it plays. When you open up, the New Testament in particular, when you open up the practice of the New Testament Christian, teaching is an enormous factor that's in your life. God intended it to be a very, very big issue. I've start this thought from John Stott. John Stott, by the way, in just a man who has blessed the body of Christ for many, many, many years as a theologian and pastor, uh, went to be with the Lord about three weeks ago. So I don't know if you knew that, but he's been influential in many of our lives. He wrote a book, one of the last books that he wrote was a book called The Living Church, and and it was confessions of a lifelong pastor. He's been pastoring since he was a young man, and he lived well into his 80s, I believe. Uh, So this is some thoughts from him. He says this, What is God's design for his church? What are the distinguishing marks of a living church? To answer these questions, we have to go back to the beginning and take a fresh look at the first spirit-filled church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, right? In Acts chapter 2 is the birthplace of the church, we understand theologically. Now, God's been doing stuff for years. God's always had a people, but there was this point when God was looking for the day when he would marry his Spirit to every individual who was his own in a unique way. And that happens at Acts chapter 2. So we call that the, the birthplace of the church. Shortly after that, the, the people of God begin to take shape. They begin to practice certain things. They begin to do certain things as the church. And you don't get out of Acts chapter 2 before you come across this passage in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you immediately kind of get a little bit of an irreducible fundamental going on right here. You get a list that's critical for the Christian life. And he starts that list with the apostles' teaching. John Stott says, The first characteristic that Luke selects is very surprising. I do not think we would have chosen it. It is that a living church is a learning church. One might say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. I love that phrase because it immediately forced me to think differently. You guys, you remember? Most of us are. How many are just rejoicing that we're no longer in school? Let me just just see your hands. You just are absolutely, overwhelmingly thrilled. Um, My my two oldest girls have just started classes. at Delgado. And so, you know, school is, is all over their schedule right now. It's just a, it's got a lot of stuff, got a lot of activity, got a lot of assignments, etc. cetera. And, you know, when you're in school and you have a mindset for being in school, you live your life one way. And when you are not in school and you do not have a mindset for being in school, you live your life differently, right? Now, those of you who went to school you get absorbed. There's assignments. There's learning, and and learning is sort of like uh, it's 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 like a brain workout, right? If you don't like to jog, and I don't like to jog, uh, I'm not sure. You know, the same set of muscles that don't like to jog and work out and get stretched and pump iron and all that kind of stuff. I know I look like I pump iron, but I don't. Um, this, there's something in me that doesn't like to have its the brain gets stretched either. You know, assignments were like things to put off, things to resist. Moans and groans when the professor would say, okay, this uh, paper's due next week. You know, you, you, you felt pain somewhere in your body. Like, oh, jeez," and, and you just began to strategize how you could procrastinate and not do that. Right? When I finished, this was back before the video game age was much of anything when I was in college. But But when when final exams would be over, I had been saving quarters for months so that I could just go do something totally mindless. And so I was at LSU, I'd finish my last exam, I would have a pile of quarters, I would walk to the arcade and I would just mindlessly play for hours. just It was something about, I don't have anything to learn at this point. Uh, it was freedom from learning. But what's interesting is, what if the the church, in God's design, was intended to be so focused on learning? And I think when you see today, you're going to find out it very much was. It's it's like school's not over for us. In a very real way, what God opened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 was a school. It very much resembles a school. And therefore, the Christian life very much resembles being in school. I know that sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> that was not in the fine print when you signed on, was it? The activity, I think I put this in your outline, the activity of teaching and its corollary learning, obviously the Bible's emphasizing teaching, it's because it wants us to receive and wants us to learn, is an unrivaled, dominant activity in the scriptures. Right? If we begin to visit the New Testament, this whole term discipleship, right? it's, it's a very important term. It's, it's defining who we are. It's what God had in mind. When God reached into your life and called you to himself, what he called you to was being a disciple. Uh, whatever else your life became once you got saved, that's what God had in mind. And so this in product of God for us has to inform the process along the way. That's where God's wanting to take us. It's God's aim when he he met you. And and listen, I know this is not just the fault of the society that we live in. You know, we, we live in a Western mindset, a very individualized mindset, a mindset that's very much about you and what you had in mind and what you wanted out of life. But that's not, unfortunately, just the message of the world. That's become sort of the message of the church as well. If you listen to what's being spoken from many, many pulpits, the emphasis seems to be on what you can experience, what you can have, how your dreams can come true, how God can suddenly, in a dynamic way, come alongside of what you've always wanted to be and make it happen. So, so discipleship kind of gets lost in that. God becomes something that we add to where we were going. But how many of you know when you read the Bible, that's, that's backwards? God is going somewhere, and he has brought us into that. When you become a Christian, you become a follower of Christ. He doesn't become a follower of Keith. So it's very important. This term is, is what God's doing. So God's up to stuff in our lives. And, you know, when you get unplugged from that in the wrong way, and as, as American Christians, probably we get unplugged at least weekly, maybe daily. And we begin to contend with God, be disappointed, be disillusioned, be frustrated with our life because our life doesn't seem to be going where we wanted it to go. And all along, it may be going exactly where God wanted it to go, and we fail to rejoice in it. We're, we're answering the call to be disciples. There's no greater calling in our lives. But that kind of wasn't what was stoking me. That wasn't what I had in mind at this point, at this age, at this season for me. So God's up to something, and His agenda is for us to be disciples. So, so what does that mean? Matthew chapter 5, in your outline there, verse 1. This is early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's been identified, he's, been, he's gone out into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy, so we've started the ministry here, and this is right in the beginning here. You move from Matthew 4 into Matthew 5, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, and we get the Sermon on the mountain in that moment. So from the beginning... The people that Jesus is going to have near him are going to be disciples, and his primary activity in their lives is going to be teaching them. That's what his ministry is going to be focused on. These words here are telling. The word disciple itself actually comes from a Greek word, manthanum, which means learner. If there's anything fundamental to being a disciple, and I think we, we think disciple, we think Uh, Great Commission. We think disciple, we think uh, evangelism and and tell the lost and and share Christ with others. We think disciple, we think person who's no longer joined to the world a certain way. There's a holiness about their life. They, They live unto God. And those things are all true. But fundamental to any of those things actually ever happening is a disciple is a learner. A disciple sits at the feet of Jesus and learns. He learns about evangelism. He learns about the God who is worthy of every life on earth and gets motivated for evangelism. He learns about the holiness of God and begins to tremble and makes choices between that which glorifies God and that which does not. See, you can't jump to the second thing. You have to learn something first. So a disciple is a learner. That word there for teach, which you are going to find out all over the New Testament, it means to teach, to instruct by word of mouth. So This is a huge portion of being a Christian is learning and being instructed, being taught. Jesus' ministry was very much a teaching ministry. He did miracles. Uh, He was going to redeem us through the cross. But while his ministry was here upon the earth, he was known as teacher. People came to him and sought him out as teacher. The words for teaching in the New Testament, uh, teaching, preaching, those proclamation, instruction-oriented words that are in the New Testament, they're used over 220 times in the New Testament. They're used in the Gospel of Matthew 22 times, just in Matthew alone. This huge emphasis on Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 1 goes as far as to say this. He said to them, "'Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby.'" so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Now, ultimately, we know the work of Christ was to come to be the atonement for our sins and to restore us to God through the work of the cross. Uh, But, I mean, realistically, that doesn't involve a three-year teaching ministry. If he's the perfect son of God, he can go to the cross at any time. And accomplish that work. So when he says, this is what I came for, I think it's, it fits into a scheme here of a strategy of God. The pattern of ministry that God established for Jesus was a teaching ministry before he went to the cross. Matthew 11, verse 1, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. This is the pattern of how God is relating to his people. Matthew 11 and then Matthew 28, you kind of have the coming and going of discipleship here. You have an invitation from Christ, and then you have him sending his disciples. So he's calling disciples to himself. As a matter of fact, when you walk in the front door, if you come in through Veterans there, you see these two plaques on the ground, because we very much feel like this communicates the calling for every individual who walks into this building. You are called to Christ as a disciple to be a learner, and then you are sent into the Great Commission while you remain in this world. So we find these verses in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me right now i you guys we're all we're all modern people here so we're pulling in here on a sunday morning busy week and we're tired right you can confess you can be honest you're tired today. Right? We're just tired on weekends. We're just tired. We've got a lot going on. The thought about learning learning takes energy, learning takes effort. I mean, Keith, I've had a busy week When you want me to come home and pick up the Bible. I know that sounds noble, but man, I'm, I'm just, I'm undone at the end of the day, man. I've been busy. I've been interacting with people, I've had pressures and stuff going on. But isn't it interesting, though, that Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. So he's acknowledging, you're burnt, you're toast, you're worn out. And he's saying, now come to me, and when you come, learn of me, and you'll find rest for your souls. But somebody needs to rescue us from some bad, bad press out there. This idea that coming to Christ and and becoming a student of Christ is going to burn us out more. The Bible doesn't say that. It says we'll actually find rest for our souls. Our souls long to rest. Right? You might be physically tired, mentally exhausted. There's an element of your soul that finds its rest by being a student of God, by learning of truth, and you actually find refreshment and strengthening for your inner man. Remember, there's, there's not just the outer man you need to care for in this life. There's the inner man. And the inner man finds strength from learning, right? And then Matthew 28, we get to the end of Jesus' time upon earth. Tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples, right? Go make learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, So here's the clear demonstration of Jesus' ministry. Here's the clear invitation from Jesus to be a disciple. And here is the launching pad from Jesus into the world. And so then we we learn about the church, right? The central activity, the central activity of the New Testament church is a teaching-based ministry. Nothing else is more clear than that. There's a lot of other stuff. Please don't hear me say it's the only thing. There's other dimensions to being a Christian. Are there very important dimensions to being a Christian? Well, let me just rescue us from this bad, bad habit. And some of these bad habits get created by pastors. Is the idea that, okay, this morning I'm going to teach on, teach, on, on the teaching ministry of the church. But let's suppose two weeks from now, or maybe last month, I wanted to teach on evangelism. Right? I wanted to infect the church with the cause of Christ. To go out, to go into the world and have an influence. And I just kind of slipped in this subtle kind of line to motivate you. You know, that's the problem with the church today. Just sitting around having meetings in these buildings all the time, people. Why don't we rename the church the Church Without Walls? As churches call that. Because it's almost as though I'm going to stomp on this idea in order to get you to go out there and answer the call to be a Christian who's making a difference in the world. All right, now I would challenge you that if you had to put in a scale, where there is emphasis, I, I don't know that you could rival teaching with anything. I don't know if you could put evangelism on this side and say, see, I mean, boom, you know, a little bit of emphasis on teaching, boom, huge emphasis on evangelism, people, get out there, get out there. Read the Bible and you tell me which one would have more in it. There's a huge emphasis on teaching in the Bible. Now, the great news is I don't need to do that. I'm not called to do that, and uh, those of us who want to handle the Bible amateurly, uh, we don't have permission to do that. There are aspects of God's truth that are valuable, and you don't make your point on one truth at the expense of another one. So I'm going to hammer teaching and Christians who sit in meetings like this and just learn the Bible, just learn the Bible all the time. Oh. No, if you got a problem not going into the world, it's not because you're absorbing the truth of God. You got other problems in your life. Let's stomp on some of those. But the Bible's real big, really, really, really big on teaching. It is the central issue for the church's ministry. Right? D. Martin Lloyd Jones, great preacher and theologian from the last century, says this is the origin of the church. This was what she actually did at the beginning. She was commissioned, sent out to preach and teach. This is the thing that she proceeded to do. We cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard, they spoke in Acts chapter 4. They they could not help themselves. They were conscious of the great constraint that was upon them. Mark Dever says there's only one thing that's biblically necessary for building the church, and that's the preached word of God. This would be the fountain of, this, of our spiritual life, both as individuals and as a congregation. So there's a huge emphasis being placed here. Right? As a matter of fact, if, if you were going to watch a house being built, you know, two components that you couldn't replace, uh, one would be the building materials and the other would be the carpenters. Right? That's, that's how a house gets built. Right? It's the building materials and the carpenters. If you watch the church get built... The building materials would be truth, and the carpenters would be kind of Ephesians four eleven. Those called to—I don't want to say hammer the truth. Some people wouldn't explain, wouldn't receive that real well, would they? Uh, At least present the truth. Let's say that. (laughs) Look in Ephesians chapter four with me. These carpenters here crawling all over this building that's being built. And the the building materials in their hands are the truth, the word of God. And and it's being taught into the church. It's being communicated and preached into the life of the church. We hear about Jesus who's ascended on high, verse 8. He's given gifts to men. There's a strategy involved. The ascended Christ had no intention that the church would be left without any steering direction, without any influence. This Teacher has ascended on high, but he didn't leave the church without an ability for them to continue to learn. So he gave gifts to men. We read about them in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if you read the rest of the New Testament, we'll read a good bit of it here in just just a moment. What does that mean, equip the saints? You know, we've we, we given out supplies? What are, we, what are we given? Water bottles? What's involved here? Belts? Clothing? What, what, what does equipping look like? Well, when you read in the New Testament, equipping, I think you could say, is equivalent to teaching the church. All of these gifts are communication gifts. They all communicate to the body of Christ. They preach and teach. So they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's a teaching function. The body of Christ is is achieving a knowledge of God that's going to be influential in the way in which we live. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way. All right, so you see the teaching ministry of the church serves as a means of equipping and maturing and causing the church to grow up. All right, that's God's purpose. And, you know, turn, turn with me real quick to 1 Timothy. If Jesus, in his departing moments of ministry is found in Matthew chapter 28. He has been with his disciples for three years. He's been teaching them. He gathers them together, and his famous last words are the Great Commission. You are to go into the world and make disciples, right, the same way that you have been made disciples by me. You're now to go and make disciples. You are to teach them. That's the emphasis. Paul's famous last words, if you will, are written to Timothy. His disciple in the Lord. Very significant here because First and Second Timothy are, are sort of the last instructions, if you will, that are given to the church. Any of the books written after that, uh, you know the revelation, uh, the books of first, Second and third John, they're, they're not of this nature. These are called the pastoral epistles, if you will. These are, these are the, the letters that are written to tell church leaders. How to direct the affairs of the church. Where to put the emphasis in the church. Now I want you to to just skim with me through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy here. And see how much emphasis the Apostle Paul places on teaching in the church. Now Jesus gave the Great Commission. 30 years now have gone by before we get to this point in the history of the church. The emphasis has not changed. There's not new techniques. Nobody's discovered that. You know that, that, that worked right in the beginning but... There's some other stuff that's really, really working really well. I think we need to kind of go in that direction now. No, 30 years later, with all the problems that have happened, all the bad direction that's going on in the church, 30 years later, the mode of operation for the church is still teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to... Teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, what a charge is Paul talking about here? The aim of our teaching. We charge people with a message. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Right? You don't get three verses into First Timothy. And Paul is immediately concerned about what's being taught. That's the concern, right? First thing that Paul's gonna to say to the church is Timothy, be careful about what's being taught. Be careful about these guys who are going off in that direction. The teaching's becoming wrong, it's becoming influencing in people, but it's got wrong content to it. Timothy, remember what we're after is this, right? And his first concern for Timothy is what's being taught. He wastes no time getting to that, and he's going to bring it up over and over and over again. He comes back to this in chapter 2. He's telling Timothy about how to pray for folks and important issues, verse 7. He says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, this is why there's urgency in what I'm saying, because he's carrying this message in him. As a matter of fact, the vehicle for Paul's apostleship, I'm called and appointed as apostle, a preacher, a teacher to the Gentiles. Teaching was the vehicle for apostolic ministry. If you you pull teaching out of apostolic ministry, you still would have something left. Right, You'd have the ministry of signs and wonders, which seemed to be unusually associated with the apostles in that day. You'd still have that, but the, the signs and wonders, most theologians would agree, signs and wonders were a vehicle for the message to be given. It was sort of like a loud boom to get people to look. Wow. <laughs> I had that kind of power. Right. <laughs> uh, would have been better if I hadn't made the noise, huh? But... Uh. So you, you had these incredible miracles taking place that gathered a crowd. Well, when the crowd gathered, now the proclamation could take place. Right? Acts chapter 2 is an amazing event. But it's an event that makes everybody get out into the street and go, what's, what, what's up with this? What, what, what's this? So that the word could be preached now. Right? So listen, again, we don't want to stomp on one or the other. Right? We don't want to create, well, we're just a signs and wonders ministry. That's what we are. <clears throat> No signs and wonders exist for a reason, right? The charge that we have is a message that we're to give. And so that's gonna have to be proclaimed, preached, and taught. Uh, All right. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just a few verses later. Verse 2. He's highlighting the future of the church by way of entrusting it to leaders. What are these leaders needing to have by way of their abilities to lead? He says, therefore. Verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Right? So leaders need to have been given by God an ability to teach. It's central to the ministry of the church. Mark Devers says the most important and fundamental role of the pastor is to preach the gospel clearly. And there's a lot of things that we might like about pastoral ministry and we might like certain aspects depending on where we are in life. But biblically, there is not a more important role than that. The primacy of preaching will never change, no matter what stage of life the church is in. Look in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you Listen, writing is a form of teaching, right? That's very important to recognize, by the way. So Paul is actually teaching Timothy by writing him this letter. So I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Right? Now, that's an interesting thing because there's a little bit of an interrupter there. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What is the church? Well, when we put a lot of definitions, it's a gathering of God's people, and it's a place of fellowship, it's the body of Christ. It's the pillar and support of the truth as well. Right, so, part of the reason for our existence as a gathered people of God has to do with a body of doctrine, a message with enough details that has to do with how we live this life so we are to communicate that to one another. We are to cherish this body of doctrine. We are to protect it in our life. And listen, it's easy. This is where the digital age issue comes in. Because the digital age might not change the content of the doctrine, but what it is changing is our accessibility to it. How influential the content is being. The digital age, I think, also is proliferating a lot of bad ideas. It's, it's, it's sort of like the printing press did as well. It's creating bad ideas and giving it, well, it's not creating them, but it's giving them the ability to get published. It's giving them a much wider audience. So that's, we need to be aware of that. You know, that's, there's way too many blogs and stuff out there that you can just go on. if you're not a sufficient student being well-led and cared for doctrinally, and you just open the world's oyster of information up, you can easily be deceived. I mean, you do recognize you live in a deceptive world with a real enemy who seeks to deceive you. So, you know, if you're one of those people making the mistake of being real thin in your time with God and sound doctrine, but you're all over scandalous information and curious information and stuff that kind of challenges and tweaks and seeks to take the edge and go in a weird direction with truth, you are in a dangerous, dangerous spot. At some point, you're not going to know. You're not going to discern. And yet this is Paul's concern in writing to Timothy. Timothy, the church is a pillar and support of the truth. Timothy, we've got to protect this. It's vitally important. Look in verse 1 of chapter 4 there. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So how do you go astray through the same vehicle through which you draw near to God? Teaching. You go astray by a body of ideas that will get taught to you. Right, this teaching is a huge and important issue. Look over in chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So Timothy's being charged. Timothy, make sure you keep truth, teach truth to the church. Verse 11. Command and teach these things. Right now, a little volumes getting here, right? Don't don't just kinda don't just kinda set some things before people like a buffet. You know, if you'd kinda like, you know, there's some urgency here. Timothy, command these things. Timothy, when you present to the church, command and teach these things. There, there needs to be a little bit of a gravity to what's being discussed here. Like now I know that. Again, in, in our society, we, we like to be respected for uh, the right of the individual. So, you know, hey, don't, don't get too forceful in your ideas, dude. Right? It kind of makes me, kind of makes something rise up in me. Right? Well, let me tell you what's not rising up in you in that moment. Humility is not rising up in that moment. Uh, the spirit of God is not rising up in that moment. Because the Bible actually says command these things. So there's some things about our lives... That we're standing right here and something is being said from the pulpit that feels wrong. All right, Now your temptation is to go in one of two directions here. You can either say that's, that's, that's wrong or it's being said wrong. It's being said wrong. It just feels wrong. Well, that's possible. I don't, I don't rescue me or anybody else from that but it might be that it feels wrong because you're supposed to be standing over here. You're standing in the wrong place. And until you move, oh you can blame it on all kinds of things. And you know, that's a problem with that church. And that's a problem with that church. And that's the you know I can't stand the way he says that. Well, you know it might be that that's going to irritate you until you get up and move. And then you might find that okay, not nearly not nearly as irritating now. Now I know I can irritate people with the way I say some things. So you could be in the right place and be irritated. I grant you that. But according to the Bible, there's a a commanding aspect of what God says that that comes with conviction and force because it's what God has said, and that's to be taught into the church in a particular way. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. All right, so we just have right there an evidence of this communication, this teaching dynamic from an individual is a God given gift to the church. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these things, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Saying that just added a whole lot of weight to the ministry of teaching something to the church. Timothy, by teaching the church and persisting in these things... You're going to save both yourself and those who hear you. So there's gravity here. What's being taught to the church is of incredible importance. All right. More. I'm going to skip through some things here, but you could look over in further places in chapter 6, in chapter 5, where teaching emphasis is being brought further in its importance. Two or three years later, right, we move over to 2 Timothy. Two to three years has gone by. Paul is now writing again to Timothy, and you'll find that his emphasis is not Changed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, early on, verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Again, the emphasis on teaching in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What do you think that good deposit is? It's a truth. Timothy, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Timothy, guard. Guard this. It's vital. Do not let it be altered. Do not let it shift. Do not replace the emphasis. Guard this, Timothy, with your life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We enter into the strategy for the future of the church. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Now, how is the church going to exist into the future? How's it going to go on into history? It's going to take a carefully designed body of truth, doctrinally given by God that's been taught, and it's going to transfer it to others who will teach it and transfer it to others, who will teach it and transfer it to others, and we'll get to the modern day where we are right now. That's God's design. Two things here. Someone is called by God to teach, and something is called by God to be taught. You don't want to do away with messengers, and you don't want to change the message. Not to be faithful to what God's describing here. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Verse 24 of chapter 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see content here everywhere? Do you see how much the Bible puts an emphasis on what is being taught, what is being said, what is being communicated? You know, many of us pray this prayer. Sometimes we pray about God granting repentance to folks. We do. We pray about that. We see people who are at odds with God. Do you see the vehicle through which God's going to bring that? The faithfulness of one like a Timothy who is faithful to a body of truth that's being delivered to that person that God might grant them repentance. Now, I realize God can, by the Spirit, move in any person's heart and cause them to become sorrowful over sin, over waywardness in their life. But clearly, God also uses the words someone communicates to that person to bring that person to repentance. And the Holy Spirit's using those words as well to bring about a change of course in their life. Look in chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and steadfastness. Where am I here? Look down in verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And so even we have the the word of God is part of this teaching venue that is in the church. All right, so before I exhaust everybody, can, can you cry uncle with me and say, Okay, Keith, you've convinced me. The New Testament church is all about teaching. Well, not all about, but boy, it's a lot about teaching. Right? So do you you see how important teaching is in the New Testament? I think Stott's right. What God started in Jerusalem was a school. Because he knew that for us to live differently, we would have to believe differently. For us to believe differently, we would need to be taught something different. Right? Now, let let me just bring us into some thoughts about interacting with this thing called teaching. What is teaching bringing to the Christian life that makes it indispensable? I'm calling teaching one of the irreducible fundamentals of Christianity. I don't believe that the church can be the church. I don't think you and I can live as Christians if we extract teaching and learning, that, that dynamic in our life. we extract it, I don't think we can be who God's called us to be. I don't think we have a shot. So what is it? About teaching. What's teaching uniquely bringing to our lives to help us put some value on it? Well, just a couple thoughts, and this is, these are just thoughts that I have about the subject. First, the introduction of foreign thought to our thinking processes. Right? That's what teaching does. Teaching introduces me to thoughts that I don't have right now, it brings perspective. It brings an idea. You know, I've got 38 ideas, and you come along and add 39 and 40, right? Where did that come from? It didn't come from me just working with the 38 ideas that I had. It came from God using somebody else to teach me a couple of ideas that didn't belong to me. Gratia Mason says, when any new fact enters the human mind, it must proceed to make itself at home it must proceed to introduce itself to the previous denizens of the house. Now, I thought that's interesting because I don't know how your mind works, but, but my mind wants to figure things out, right? So it wants to establish the boundaries for things. It wants to understand it top and bottom. So often your idea is going to have a hard time making itself at home with my ideas because, you know, I've, I've gone ahead and I've put the walls up for the house, you know, I think, okay, yeah, I've learned and, and learned some things about that, about life, about truth. So this is this is where that and you come along and your idea doesn't fit my existing idea. So what's my first temptation gonna be? Dismiss your idea. Your idea is wrong. Now if I do that, then I live in a life that can only be built by my ideas. Only what I understand, only what I agree with, only what I've built. But God has designed a gracious gift to us to keep us from living in our little bitty shacks that we tend to build. They're not mansions. They're, they're, they're slightly larger than a portalette. You know, those little things on the Mardi Gras routes. They're a little larger than that, and they do have an opening to them. But, but if I just use my mind, my thinking, my thoughts to build, that's all the house I'm going to build. So God has graciously said, how about some fresh ideas? How about some ideas that come from... Something different than you. When you look in the Bible, you find God delivering new building materials for people to build a little better house to live in all over the place. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. People already had religious information. Do you know why there was an audience on the day of Pentecost? Because there was a bunch of religious people observing a religious festival that God had revealed to them. They were there celebrating celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, a feast that long existed before the Christians got a hold of that idea. We think the word Pentecostals, you know, Christianized. What's a Hebrew word? They already had religion. But they needed to be taught something, didn't they? Because when God broke out and this event took place that the Bible all over the place had been talking about, they didn't get it until Peter began to preach to them. When he preached to them, do you remember what happened? The response of many, many, many of them? They were pierced to the heart by what? By what they heard preached to them in the power of the Holy Spirit through a man. And they cried out, What must we do to be saved? Right? Those guys needed instruction. Everybody needs instruction. And you go all the way, you keep going all the way into Acts chapter 19. It's a group of disciples that are in a city of Ephesus. Paul comes across them. He asks them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They responded strangely, we've not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, then what were you baptized into? Well, we were baptized into the baptism of John. It's interesting, right? And a group of ideas associated with a guy named John. We are baptized into his baptism. Oh, well, well, John taught a baptism of repentance. It was a preparatory work leading to something. What is all this that I'm doing right now? Teaching. Paul was teaching these disciples in Ephesus. And within just a few verses, their life becomes opened up to the enormity of God. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. A whole new realm begins to happen. Why? Because they were taught by Paul. Even, Even Apollos was a learned man. Right, folks who, who look into who Apollos might have been in church history. He's a smarty. I mean, this guy's got some, some great insights and thoughts going on. But yet he needed to be instructed further. Right? Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos on the side and teach him further about the gospel. Right, so you, you can be a smart guy, you could be called a disciple, you can be a religious person, and you're needing instruction, right? So we need new thought, right? Can you just, I mean, this is as fundamental as it gets. How many of you guys are here today and you say, I could use some new ideas, right? Uh, all right, where are you going to get it from? Where are you going to get those new ideas? Now, if you're sort of a hyper New Testament believer, hyper New Testament, and, and I have to say more spiritual than the Bible, you would tell me you're going to get them from God, I'm going to get them from God. I'm going to get them from the Holy Spirit oh, and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. are going to lead me into that. Well, that's great, and I agree with you. You will get a lot from the Holy Spirit and from the Bible. But God invented this idea called teaching, and God put it into human vehicles, and God reserved certain ideas for you and I to ever have to come to us through that gift through being taught, another human being is going to teach us something about God and about life, right? So be careful we don't get more spiritual than the Bible sometimes. Here's what's happening in this new idea coming to us. Let's suppose you uh, you go out to a restaurant to go eat, right? It's a good restaurant. You have some favorite dish that you have there. So you you pull up and you're going to be there for an hour and a half and... You're going to order and you're going to wait. And you just know, you don't know exactly what's going on in that kitchen, but you just know what comes out of there is, I mean, your mouth-watering experience. You, you haven't eaten half the day because you wanted to reserve a place for this particular meal. And so in about an hour and a half's time, you, food is going to be brought to you and you're going to eat it and, and you're going to have this delightful experience of interacting with this food. But, but here's what you're not focusing in on in that moment. Before that food gets to you, there's a lot of work that's been going on before that ever arrives, right? As a matter of fact, you could, depending on what you're eating, it took years for that meal to get in front of you. Now, you, it feels like it just took a few minutes, right? It took years. Because if you're eating a steak, where would that come from, right? Some little cow had to grow up, get big enough to be slaughtered, somebody had to have the expertise to package that so it wouldn't spoil, get it to a distributor who would get it to a restaurant. And once it arrived at the restaurant, somebody had to have knowledge on how to keep that sanitary so it could actually get on your plate without harming you. And then some culinary wizard is going to get involved with this thing. Right? And this guy has this got history that it took him years to get he either grew up watching his mama cook and just loved cooking and got all kinds of ideas through the years. Learned that if you put this with that with that, oh, right. And so he put that away, tucked that idea away, and then he came across another one. Maybe he went to culinary school, learned, you know, if you mix this ingredient with that ingredient and with this texture, oh, people will die to come to your restaurant. So you experiment with these things. You know how to cook. Meat to it's just the right texture. You know which meat to cook for certain dishes and which ones not. That would be tough. That wouldn't work for this. So by the time that meal sits in front of you, do you understand there are years of work that went into this meal getting served up to you? Now, when I listen to a message preached, when I pick up a book that's been well written by an author, a gifted teacher, uh, that's a similar experience that I'm having. It might, it might take me an hour to listen to a message, but that message is being prepared for years and years. Now you go back, that, that pastor's experience in God, it's an amazing way God knew that message would be preached 20 years from now. And God was at work in this guy's life, preparing him, giving a certain experience, opening the word of God to him so he could see some form of truth that would lead him to understand this truth and that truth better. And he knew the ingredients of, oh, if you put this understanding of truth with this understanding of truth from the Old Testament and this, you put that together, lights come on. And, and God gave that to that man. And then experiences begin to happen, and there was things that affected him. He began to not just know some ideas, but to feel the weight of those ideas being lived out and seeing people experiencing them and seeing where if you don't do it that way, you go wayward this way. You understand? Years of preparation came before this meal and a message got served up for us to listen to or read. And you and I are receiving the benefit of God having been at work for a long time. And into our life comes this idea, this revelation, this truth, and suddenly all of us have had this experience. We're, we're here in our walk in some category, and suddenly we're here. Something's happened. Something came to us. Now in all humility, we didn't just come up with that on our own, did we? There's a lot of factors that were at work here. not I mean, when you sit in the restaurant, you don't sit there and go, oh my Goodness, my taste buds work well. Oh, whew. Oh, give me another bite. Oh, I have got the most incredible taste buds. Right? I mean, it's just not all about you, is it? Now, your taste buds are involved, and thank God that you have them. But there's other factors that are involved in enjoying that. In the same way, God has reserved and given a place for teaching of truth in our lives. That our soul needs it. And God has done a lot of work to prepare for moments where he's going to serve us in that capacity. I love this thought from John Piper. kind of lets you in on the, on the behind the scenes of a man who's been studying, thinking. This is how he describes his process of interacting with God's truth so that he might share it and benefit. It says musing, brooding, pondering, thinking. That has been for me the pathway to seeing and savoring and singing and speaking and staying. Year after year, this has been my work. Prayer-saturated, spirit-dependent thinking about what God has revealed of himself to provide fuel for passion and preaching. Now, I I can say that I have dined at this man's table for many years. I have feasted. On the labor that has gone into a a man for years, and you can hear when he he teaches, reaching back for years, something God made real twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and how life experience and rich revelation of truth and a broad landscape of doctrine and theology allows for that to get served up, baked just to the right temperature and texture and flavor. Well, I'm grateful. See, I'm grateful because when the Bible calls on me to live a life a certain way, it recognizes that I'm going to need to change my mind about some things. Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And God is going to give teaching as a primary means through which our mind gets changed. A couple other insights into why this is uniquely helpful. Teaching provides the benefit of insight explanation and clarity that God has ordained in the gift of teaching. I think we recognize it's a gift of teaching. It's something God has ordained for the church for us to benefit from. There's clarity that comes. We get to see some things more clearly as as a result of God giving teaching into the church. Uniquely, I believe teaching provides confirmation of personal insights and convictions. All of us as Christians, we're we're quite capable of feeling very strongly about something that we believe. We believe the Bible teaches that. I believe you should do this, right? And we feel, and we should, we feel strongly about those things. But when we start feeling strongly about something, we need to, to hold that inside the revelation of fallenness and appropriate humility. Any idea that I come to that I think, absolutely, it says this, it's that, no, no. Okay, while I'm saying that, I need to kind of dip that thing in the truth that I'm a fallen creature. I don't see anything absolutely clearly. And appropriate humility says that, you know, I I might want to see if I can confirm the reality of this. Not just, I've got my view and it's the only view and it's the right view. Uh, I, I think whether you're a preacher or whether you're just an individual Christian learning something, the gift of teaching and the work of teaching in the body of Christ allows us to sort of confirm we believe the Bible says this about this. Well, does anybody else agree with you on that? Well, nobody needs to agree with me, brother. i got the, I got the Holy Spirit in the Bible. All right. Well, Can you just today, just even if just today brought you some new insights, can you see that there's the teaching function in the church that God gave that as well as the Holy Spirit and the Bible to you. He gave you the Holy Spirit and he gave you the Bible, and he reserved certain things to come to you through teaching, not just through your good efforts with the Holy Spirit and the Bible. So you might want to be humble and say, hey, I feel strongly about this. You know, I mean, all the pastors would would do this. You know, we feel led to, to teach a passage a certain way, We feel led to address certain components that are in a Bible passage and emphasize certain things. Uh, I think our primary starting point as pastors is there. God, what do I see in your word and what do I feel your spirit leading me to emphasize for this group today from this particular word? But once I do that, I think the other guys are exactly the same. You know, I want to I visit with some teachers in the body of Christ. And we do that whether it's through books, commentaries, messages, people that we feel like have a good, sound theology. They're guarding this doctrine, this body of doctrine. What do these guys say about this? These guys, they're severely at odds with what I'm saying. Because if I find everybody's at odds with what I'm saying, I, I need to humbly maybe rethink, wow, I really like that idea. I really thought it would preach really cool. <laughs> but nobody else feels that way about this passage but me. Um, I might want to hold that loosely. I might want to rethink. Am I, am I right in what I'm saying? Right, so the gift of teaching in the church helps me with that. It brings clarif- clarifying of the boundaries of doctrine. Right, when you hear a truth and you want to just run with it. you know? If you just got faith, everything's possible, brother. Everything is possible. So you read that passage... Are there any boundaries for that? Can I really do anything and everything with whatever I believe at any moment? Right, we believe in the gift of healing. Okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean, does that mean everyone gets healed? Does that mean none of us are going to spend any time in heaven? Because we're staying right here on earth, and we're just going to be healed here over and over and over again. And these bodies, this is it. Just you know, We'll just be healed. If, and if you just believe appropriately in healing, well, you could come away from some of these things with a wrong emphasis And sometimes teaching that takes into account a broader understanding, right? I mean, uh, if you've been saved for very long, do you remember these experiences? You started reading the Bible and you came across an idea for the first time and you put up some kind of offense for that thing. That either never happens, that could never happen. Or it always happens, it's normal for everybody. Everybody should be experiencing this all the time. You're not, why are you in the hospital? What's the matter, you don't have faith? And so you bring those kind of ideas to people. Thank God for the gift of teaching. Somebody who's sort of been around the ranch and visited more places than just this one little pasture and can say, hey, you know what, two hills past this one, there's a fence on this idea. And you're going to bump into it. I've been there. I've come back to tell you about it. Thank God for the gift of teaching in the body of Christ. How about this last one? Teaching is the primary means of caring for, strengthening, and protecting the church. When you read Paul, Paul Paul says some some important things, some difficult things to people because he is teaching the church and a function of godly leadership is to protect the church through teaching the church. When you get to Galatians here, you don't have to look at this, I'll just read it to you. Chapter 1, verse 8, and Paul says So even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. Freaks you out a little bit, doesn't it? All right, everybody came in this meeting this morning and and you brought your personality with you. I don't know if you know that, but you did. And there's some of you in here that you would tell people to go to hell in a second. You would. You probably did this week. (laughs) (laughs) There are some of you in here who would never, you'd never do that. (laughs) <laughs> There's like booing going on in the front row here, for those of you who won't. There is a realm here where you just you need to realize that there is a task appointed in Scripture to protect the message of the gospel. And to do it nicely and to do it with teeth. And sometimes, depending on your personality, you may or may not like that. Right. There, are, there are moments in which the pastoral responsibility for the church, and if you sat in a church long enough, you're, you're going to hear us wander into issues. You should. We should be trafficking in the issues of this world and the issues of your life and in the issues of the modern church. And there are going to be moments when we feel like, you know what, that idea is drifting far enough from the gospel to where we need to let you know about it. And we need to highlight that for you, and we're going to make it look and sound as distasteful as we believe that it is. Because maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've never studied church history. Maybe you've never noticed that what Paul started off by saying, this is critical, this is important. Timothy, protect this. Don't ever let this get out of hand. Don't let these ideas crowd in on it, Timothy. I mean, you understand the people that he's telling to be accursed? These are not people standing up in Galatia saying, oh, the Jesus, never heard of him. (laughs) He came? No, he didn't come. He was the son of God? No, no, wasn't the son of God at all. Some fool, some charlatan. No, do you understand the people in Galatia were just simply trying to add works to the gospel? They were just trying to bring into the idea that there is a means through Christ to be reconciled to God and accepted by him. The only other thing that you're going to have to add to that is circumcision. Because, see, in circumcision was the idea of the way in which people came into being the people of God in the Old Testament. It's got to be included. And they argued for that. And they introduced into this pure grace equation from God a contribution from man. That was enough for Paul to pull his hair out and become insulting. Now, now maybe you wouldn't do that. And people who are sort of personality like you, would be right with you in that. But if the Apostle Paul were here and he heard you didn't do that, I don't think he'd get it. I think he'd be up in your face trying to figure out why you are so slack on something so important. So I say that to sort of introduce you to the reality that from the pulpit, there is an obligation to protect the truth through preaching and teaching. And there's going to be moments where you don't know if you like what was just said. And, you know, quite honestly, listen, it could be because of the way I say it or one of the other guys says something. It could very well be that. But don't expect that everything you hear from the pulpit is going to sound nice. This is important, right? I mean, all over this city that you grew up in and live in was some ideas that began to formulate in the first century and still call itself Christianity and then 200 and 300 years later those ideas were taking shape in a little different way and still calling itself Christianity and then there was councils and meetings that took place for years and years and still calling itself Christianity it's all over your city you think it started yesterday no 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 martin luther was right to stand up, put his life on the line, and scream and make a big deal about something in his day. He was right to protest something, even at the cost of his own life. Listen, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Galatians chapter 1. Because a function of the church is to preach and teach and protect the church by preaching and teaching. So just to say that because I know sometimes people get rubbed. It's like, hey, you mentioned that that church was doing blah, blah, blah. And Listen, I, I think we're kind of fair in saying that, hey, you know what, we, we really are weak in a bunch of categories as a church. If you visited with any of the pastors, none of us would stand up and say, hey, we got it right. <laughs> yeah, we got it right. And all those other churches, no, they don't have it right. We got it right. No, there's a tons of things that we don't do well as a church. There's a lot of room for us to grow. And in those sorts of areas, I think we just give grace to the body of Christ. People are trying. They're trying to walk in things of God. and They're trying to get truth right. But certain departures lead to a drift into church history. And if you look at church history, you find that. Somebody needs to be clear on that. And teaching is the vehicle through which that becomes clear. We just don't kind of... Gather all you guys together and just kind of hope that you might discern something. No, teaching is supposed to discern that stuff. It's supposed to preach into those categories of life. And you're going to need to be open to receive some of that. All right, last thought. How does teaching come to your life? How do you, how do you get teaching into your life? Right, now, there's some, these are some obvious things, but things that can be easily crowded out by the digital age that we live. Well, the gift of the Spirit brings teaching into the church, and that gift resides in human beings that are going to show up in certain places. So if you want to benefit from that gift, you're going to have to get yourself in certain places. That's as simple as it is. So gathered meetings, the purpose that God gathers his people together in the New Testament is to teach them. Very much a huge function for why we're together in a big meeting like this is to be taught the word of God. So you can gather and you need places in your life where you do gather, so that would be the first thing you need to survey, uh, reading is a form of teaching. Right? Reading sound biblical theology is a form of teaching. And I, I would say you, you need both in your life. You need gatherings, and you need reading to take place on your own as well, where you're being taught. Right? Quick questions for you. Matt, you can go ahead and come. Question, are you seeking to receive from the Holy Spirit's revelation and strategy for growth and health and protection? Are you seeking to receive? Listen, that's different than just knowing that it's there. Are you seeking to receive through this strategic thing of God called teaching and learning? Question, are you granting the teaching-learning dynamic of your life some holy ground? If you don't, the digital age will eat it up. You will lose that real estate and you will find that you just don't spend much time being taught and learning, right? Is it holy ground, right? Some of us, you know what I'm talking about, holy ground, right? Some of you guys that are kind of like into something, you know, you're into exercise and it's, you know, it's got holy ground. You get up an hour early, you go to the gym or you do a certain workout and and you've got the discipline and you pull that out. You give that holy ground. It's like, you know what, sleep is not going to encroach upon this thing. Schedule won't encroach upon this thing. Uh, this is holy ground right here. Listen, this needs to be holy ground. It's, this cannot become something that, well, I don't really have a plan for it. In a digital age, then you're never going to do it. Other pieces of information are going to take that piece of real estate hostily from you. And you'll just find over time, you'll constantly be in meetings like this going, Yeah, you know, I meant to. Yeah, I really wanted to. Yeah, in January, I started, you know, I had a New Year's resolution and I, and I meant to, and I meant to, and I meant to. And it never seems to happen. Last thought Are you seeking to grow in your skills of listening and learning? You don't take skill to do what you're doing right now? I'm looking at some of you, and it doesn't look like a lot of skill, but it does take skill, really, <laughs> to do what you're doing. If you're going to do it well, if you're going to see this as a critical, irreducible fundamental to the health of your Christian life, what you're doing right now takes skill, intentionality. This thought from Mr. Parker says, the preacher is only half of the church's activity of proclamation. The assumption seems to be that whereas the preacher is really doing something, the people have a passive role like so many jugs waiting to be filled. Anyone who has regularly preached over many years but then has been a member of a congregation for some time would be hard put to, dis- put to it to decide which was the more demanding, preaching well or listening properly. Listen, now I know because I sit, in, I sit in an audience too. And so I, I know what it is to sit and listen preacher comes, the preacher has spent a good chunk of his week preparing to teach, I would dare say some portion of your week needs to be spent preparing to learn, preparing to listen well. If you're walking into meetings like this and during the week you really didn't have any kind of a quiet time this week, You didn't be still and know something about God. You didn't open your Bible and let the Holy Spirit teach you. You didn't open a book and let the gift of a teacher teach you, and then you show up in this meeting. It's not likely you're getting a whole lot out of these meetings. But it's not because the preacher doesn't come seeking to give out a lot that would serve you. It could be just because when we listen, we're we're not prepared to listen well. This is an irreducible fundamental to your life. So let me encourage you in this as we close. Normal to your life needs to be this. I have my Bible. Somewhere in my house at work, somewhere I have a book I'm reading. I have meetings that I'm attending. Those are irreducible fundamentals. You cannot get rid of any one of those. Now catch this because I'm emphasizing this one today. I'm emphasizing the book today. There are aspects that God wants to teach you right now in the season of your life right now. Things that you're going through right now have made you rich for the pickings. You're hurt in a certain way. You're intrigued by something. You have an ambition in a certain category. Something has made you come to life in a certain category. In those moments, in addition to your Bible, get a good book. My experience with God has been life-changing in those seasons. God began to deal with me about pride issues in my life about 20 years old. I didn't know anything about books then. I hadn't been saved that long, and there was one Christian bookstore. It had 14 books in it, I think, total. Y'all you know, remember Maranatha Christian bookstore on Transcontinental? Uh, Transcontinental? Had a turnstile, you know, with a couple of books on it and bare shelves everywhere. But they had this book by a guy named Andrew Murray called Humility, and I was having a problem with pride, and I was smart enough to put those two issues together. This seems to go with that. Now listen, I I've, had, I've, I've recommended that book to people umpteen times because for me it was revolutionary for me it turned my life upside down Now, what I've come to recognize is you know why it did that for me because I was ripe for the pickings I was in a place in my life where everything about me needed to hear something about humility So when Andrew Murray in the book opens up the first chapter and says, well, basically the whole Bible is about humility. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right, it is. Now you might be in a different place and you say, really? I don't know about that. But see, you're going through some things sometimes where God has made it a rich setting for you to be taught. And thank God today there's lots of good teaching material available. So the regular feature of your life should be a Bible, a book, in a meeting. If your digital world's getting too big and you're losing meetings or you don't ever read books or you don't get time with your Bible, then something in the digital realm needs to go. Those are irreducible fundamentals. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you for this morning even as I was praying for our time together today recognizing this would be a unique morning with all that's going on in our city and facing the reality that there would be many folks who would not be here this morning as though I felt the impression of your spirit But those who do come God you had something specific for them and you would make sure they were here so Lord I trust this audience here today many here Lord that your communication to them through vehicles like preaching and teaching what I trust would be life sustaining I trust that you have drawn us here in the midst of all the things going on around us today you've drawn us here so that this aspect of our life could be vitally strengthened. And for years, Lord, for years we would tell stories about sitting down and eating that doctrinal meal that has so sustained us. It shaped us. It encouraged us in a moment where we needed it. It it launched us into a mission in an area of our lives that we needed. So, Lord, may it be that from this day forward we see a noticeable protection, a levee, sandbags around our Bible, a good book, and a meeting. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Y'all be careful. Going home today, don't get drowned.